Revelation 19, the end of verse 10, it says, For the testimony, everybody say testimony, of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, right now in the name that is above every name, in your name, not somebody else's name, in the name that was yours long before you ever said, let there be anything, you had a name. And I pray, God, right now in that name, you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, open up our understanding. Give us wisdom today as we begin to unpack the prophecy of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Y'all can be seated. So glad to see everybody in the house today. If this is your first time, I just want to say welcome home. I hope you got some coffee. I hope you got some cookies. I hope you, did they have cookies today? If they didn't have cookies, we go next door where the kids are having church and grab some of their goldfish. They won't mind. Just, they're shorter. We can just take their goldfish, amen. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be primarily staying in chapter 1 today. But this is the beginning of a series where God is going to do something really, really awesome. And God is going to make some changes in our lives. And he is going to do some amazing things for us. Amen? God is going to teach us some things over the next few months. Everybody say months. I'm starting a series today called Revealed. Everybody say Revealed. And I don't know how long we're going to be here. This is going to be one of those series. Some of y'all have been here a minute. You know, we, we've been in series that went really, really long from time to time. This is going to be one of those series. Right now, God has unpacked about 25 sermons in this series. I don't know if we're going to go that long. We may go longer. I, I know one man of God who preached the book of Revelation for three years at his church. I'm not saying that I'm going to do that. I, I don't know that I have the ability to do that. But I do know that God has got some stuff in this book that we need to understand and I'm, I'm not going to get in a hurry. Is that okay? I'm, I'm going to do my best not to over-preach. I'm going to do my best not to stay here for an hour and a half while I'm preaching. But I want you to get some understanding. So here's my challenge for you. I want you to bring your Bible every Sunday. It's going to be on the screen. But I want you to bring your Bible. I also want you to bring a notebook so you can take some notes. And if you ever have any questions about what I've taught while we go through this series, because I promise you we're going to bump some of your preconceived notions about the Word of God. Some of you have been going to spiritual Wikipedia to get ideas about the end time and then all this stuff, and you got ideas, I promise you, most of that's all. Right. Because most of that has nothing to do with the Word of God. We want to stay in the Word of God because we want to have an understanding of who He is. Amen? And so if I challenge you with something, if you if you don't have an understanding of what I said, I'm like, I got another question on that. I want you to shoot me an email. It's a very simple email address. It's Monty, M-O-N-T-E, at NOLAchurch.com. Anybody wants to email me, I respond to all my emails. No, I don't. Nevin emails me just about every week, and they're, they're never easy questions. So, like, thank you for that. You keep me on my toes. But there's nothing wrong with emailing the pastor. Right? Man, well, I want your phone number. Shoot me an email, because I probably won't answer your phone call. But uh, if you shoot me an email, I will get back to you, and we will dive into this together. Amen? I want you to go ahead and open up. We're going to be reading at first out of verse 9. Out of chapter 1 in the book of Revelation. While you're turning there, I want to say buena asafiwe to all of our family in the nation of Kenya. Pastor uh, John and Pastor Mary, we love you. So glad that you were there in all nine locations. Come on, I think we can do better than that. Let's do this. And I, I 
got a message this morning from Ashley. And it used to be Mary, but she got married recently. I don't What is her last name? Okay, Mary, uh, or Ashley, we love you. She texted me this morning. She said, I'm leaving next Sunday, Australia time, and I'm coming to Nola Church. And I'm getting baptized. So I'm excited. I believe that's the last Sunday of January. So if you, we've been talking about Ashley ever since 2020, right during the middle of the pandemic. God connected us with Ashley, and she's been joining us online in Australia ever since then. And God's done some amazing things in her life. We're going to be baptizing her in the Sunday morning experience. Praise God for that. That's awesome. God is doing great things. Stay up on the app. Stay up on the website. Stay connected to what we're doing. Let's get into this. The series that I'm calling Reveal. Simply because so many of us don't truly understand who God is. Depending on our religious background, depending on our religious comfort zone, which is probably a better way to put it, we identify God in a certain way, especially in today's society, which is all about self-identifying and like placing an identity on somebody else. We, we like to do that with God, too. We like to create a God in our image. But we like to say, God, this is how you are. This is, this is how I see you. And he's like, that ain't me. And as a result, we end up having a bad understanding, and as a result, we keep him out of arm's length. Let me give you an example. I'm not coming for anybody on this, but I'm going to give you an example that is very real to life that many of us can understand. If we have daddy issues or our parent issues, we tend to keep God like this. Yeah. Okay? It's a normal, natural reaction from from someone as a human who is hurt. I've been hurt by a father figure or an authority figure. God is the ultimate authority. I'm going to go ahead and keep him here so he doesn't hurt me, right? And as a result, we never get close to him because we've identified him in a way that he never identified himself. He says, I'm a loving father, but we don't always understand that. And then the other thing is we see God through the lens of religion. And remember, religion is not there to connect you with God, regardless of what the religion is. You're like, well, you're offended me. I'm sorry. This is one of those places I'm probably going to do it. I'm not trying to come at you, but i, I got to speak truth. Religion in and of itself is never designed to get us any closer to God. It actually is designed to get us closer to religion. Because religion needs to self-propagate by getting us connected in a religious sense to where we advance the movement of the religion, and meanwhile, we're even further and further and further disconnected from God. Like, oh, you're talking about those other religions. I'm even speaking of Christianity. Maybe you didn't know, but Jesus wasn't even a Christian. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus is not a Christian. In fact, it wasn't for about 50 years after Jesus resurrected back into the heavenlies that people started being called Christian in the first place. The people you see in the, in the New Testament, they didn't even accept the name Christian for 30 or 40 years. Right. It was an insult when it was first given. Yeah. And uh, what does it mean? It means Christ-like or Christ-imitated. So people are like, are you a Christian? I normally say no when I'm trying. Because <laughs> I, I have not yet achieved that, that lofty position of truly imitating Christ. I'm trying every day. My wife says I try all the time, that I'm very, very trying. But I'm not quite there. I'm working on it. Like, well, is it wrong to say I'm a Christian? Absolutely not. But I'm just trying to show you the layer here. All right. 
We like to identify ourselves by our brand. God's not a brand. He's not a product. God is the essence of life. And if we truly understand who he is, that is the only time, my friend, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your understanding is, you will not truly understand who you are until you have a firm grasp on the identity of the one who spoke the worlds into existence and then formed humanity in his own image and his own likeness with his own hands and then breathed his spirit into man to give him life. So over the next few, ever how long it's going to be, we're going to be diving into this series of reveal. Today I'm just simply titling it The Unveiling. Everybody say The Unveiling. The Unveiling. And I'm going to be unpacking three themes in this God's identity, our hope, and John's vision. We're going to do this as quickly as we can. Anytime you get into a Bible study, and this series is going to somewhat be a Bible study. Is that okay? We're going to go to Sunday school. Anybody ever been to Sunday school? I love me some Sunday school. They always had the best school. It was awesome. And I was the pastor's kid, so I could like sneak in when they stored it, like when it was over, and I could go in and like break out some more. It was awesome. Y'all pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. But anytime you're diving into the Word of God, and especially if it's a book that it, you might not be as familiar with, how many of you have never read the book of Revelation? Y'all, that's okay. I'm not coming for it. All right. We got some honest folks. How many of y'all want people to think you read it, but you ain't really read it? Like, there's a lot of people like, I ain't even reading that. That's scary. Why? Here's the reason. Like, the mark of the beast is in the book of Revelation. It's all about wars. It's all about like, plagues coming from the heavenlies. It's, it's like a moon turning to blood, right? Like, the devil's there. Man. The son of perdition. I don't even know what that is. Like, all these big words and like, it's the end of days and like everything's falling apart, right? That's that's what we think the book of Revelation is about. In fact, you can even see this when people talk about it. They say the book of Revelations. That ain't what it says. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. It is technically the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it's really, really important. Here's the deal. Everything that I just mentioned is in the book. But that's not what the book is about. And it's very, very easy to lose Jesus in the study of the book of Revelation. Because you see all these things and we like flashy, shiny objects and, oh, there's a world. Let me go see what that's about. Oh, there's an antichrist. I don't even know what that is, but let me go see what that's about. Oh, there's a catching away. There, there's a second coming. Are they the same thing? We even know. Let's find out. And we focus on all these other things and overlooking the whole purpose of the book is to reveal Jesus. So let me challenge you. Don't lose Jesus over the next few weeks when we're diving in. Is that, that, that good? We're all on the same page? So when you're studying, you need to ask some questions. And so today I want to answer three of the questions that every believer should ask no matter what book of the Bible you're reading. This is a good way to dive in and understand. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, the beginning of verse 9. And we're going to answer the question, who wrote the book? Who wrote the book? And in verse 9, it says this, I, John, both your brother and companion. Now, I'm not the smartest duck in the pond. 
I'm from Southeast Louisiana, but generally when someone says, my name's John, I'm your brother and companion, I'm the one writing this, that's the author of the book, right? Like Bill Davis, I did not write the book of Revelation. John wrote the book, but then John's a fairly common name. It was a very common name in the first century. Who are we talking about here? Okay, great question. Are we talking about John the Baptist? Are we talking about John the Beloved? Are we talking about John the Revelator? Are we talking about John the Apostle? Are we talking about John the Disciple? These are very good questions. Are we talking about some, some other dude named John that just happened to be running around at the time? Because it was a very common name. The answer to this is in the Word. And he said, my name is John. I'm your brother and companion. I want you to know I'm on this journey with you. John the Baptist was already dead, so it's not him. Dead people can't write things, no matter what word we try to tell you. They can't write things. John, who was the disciple of Jesus, he was one of the 12. I mean, it was roughly about 1,500 disciples of Jesus. People don't talk about that, but they kind of traveled around with him. Like he had his, he had his big boss on. But then he had like the really close guys, there was 12 of them that walked with him. And then of that 12, there were three that walked with him. John was also one of them. He is known in the Gospels as John the Beloved. Doesn't mean there was something creepy going on between Jesus and John. What it means is they were very, very close friends. And they're like, why did you even say that? Because there were people who believed that. And they justify bad things because they don't understand the text. So Jesus and John were very close friends. John, who was also the brother of James, who was also a fisherman, who was also one of the disciples. So this is, this is who we're talking about. This, who wrote the book? John, the disciple of Jesus. And at this period of time, he was roughly 95 years old. He's an old man. He's been around. He's seen some things. He walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years and he understood some things because he had actually witnessed and experienced a lot of things that a lot of us are very jealous of. And at age 95, I do, I do find this interesting because a lot of times people say, Nola Church has got so many young people, there's, there's no place for anybody over 50. Well, first off, the pastor is over 50. I'm not much over 50, but I'm still over 50. No, here's the deal. Our church is not designed for young people. Our, our church is not designed for old people. David, you're not a thousand, but you're older than most people. You're, there's a place for you here, right? He's like 564. He's not quite a thousand. Speaking of getting old, Pastor Matt just had a birthday yesterday. All you young folks, you may not understand it, but every day you wake up, you get church is not just designed for young people. It's designed for everybody. But there's a notion that a lot of times the older we get, the less involved we need to be in the work of God. Well, I have less to contribute. Really? Who told you that? Because you need to stop listening to them. They're liars. John was 95 years old-ish when he wrote this book. You say, okay, well, when was this written? If he was roughly 95 years old, how do we know when the book was written? Let's look at the, at the whole collection uh, of Romans chapter 1 verse 9. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. Everybody say, Patmos. you got to say it like you're educated. Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, Based on what he's saying here in verse 9, we can 
get a very fairly accurate date of the book of Revelation being written. Is this okay today? Lay a little bit of foundation to show you some things. Say, why do I need to know this? It's very, very important to know this. It was roughly around AD 95 that this book was written because it was roughly around AD 95 that the emperor Domitian of Rome banished John to the island of Patmos. It was roughly in that period of time. And this is important. He was banished there because Domitian tried to kill him. Why did he try to kill him? Because of his belief in Jesus and his refusal to stop preaching Jesus. Very different from postmodern Christianity. Something challenges us. Oh, by all means, we will stop doing that because that would be, ooh, I do not want to get in trouble for preaching Jesus. John was worried about that. Domitian, the emperor of Rome, and, and let me put this into some context, the ruler of the known world. Not just like the local sheriff of Nottingham, right? No, we're talking about like someone with legit authority and power who could end his life like this. In fact, Domitian tried to do it. History tells us that John, the, the beloved, was boiled alive in oil, but did not die. The Mason's trying to kill a brother. Can't do it. Now, <coughs> certain history says that John came out of the water or out of the oil unscathed. Don't know if that's an actual factor. It, it may have been. We don't know. God is capable of doing miracles. Amen. But we do know that Domitian tried to kill him. He couldn't do it. So he says, just get out of my face. Take him and put him on the Isle of Patmos, which is this outside of an island right off, right off the, uh, the, the coast of Italy. I want you to put him out there and just leave him. And this, this island, you can actually find it today. It's still on maps. It's really, really small. It's mainly an island made out of volcanic rock. Not a lot out there. And he banishes him out there for a period of time. It was on this island, according to the guy who wrote it, that he has this vision, and he writes down his vision, and that's what we're reading. Okay, so we, we can date this, that that's cool and all, but why do I need to know that? Very good question. If you don't have an understanding of when the book was written, your view of what the book is about completely changes. Okay, the, the common understanding up until roughly the fifth century was that John wrote this book while he was on the island of Patmos toward the end of the reign of Domitian. Domitian stopped being the emperor in AD 96 because he no longer was breathing. It's hard to be an emperor when you're no longer breathing. So John had to have written it somewhere toward the end of Domitian's reign, roughly 95 AD. Here's the reason this is important. The date determines the application. There's a group of people called the Preterists. The Preterists believe that when you read the book of Revelation, you're reading something that has already happened. And all of the things that we see in here, like the catching away and the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth to establish an earthly kingdom, has already happened. Now, this is what the Preterists believe. Now, that might, that might not be a term you're familiar with, but I promise you there are people that you know who believe that. And the preterists back in the day, a lot of religious figures today lean into, lean into this. They actually believe that the Antichrist was the Emperor Nero. Okay. If that's the case, according to the same book, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords should have already established an earthly kingdom. Anybody besides me notice that the world keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And everything that I see here says that when King Jesus establishes an earthly kingdom, all of that mess goes away. So that could not be the actual case. And so they, they start trying to justify things. Like their, their logic doesn't hold true, so they start trying to twist things. And that's when they say, well, well, let me tell you that what this means is the rapture of the church happens after the tribulation. Anybody ever heard that? The tribulation, which by the way, it's not even a word that's used in the Bible in the way that they use it. We'll get into that in a few weeks. But after the tribulation, that seven-year period of time where the wrath of Almighty God is poured out onto the earth, that's when the rapture of the church takes place. Because, you know, you see, it's already happened. No, it's the justification of a thought that says everything in this book has already happened. The problem is that doesn't hold up to what the book itself says. So the preterist is one view of the book. A better view of the book is a futurist. Everybody say futurist. Futurist. Which means that the book of Revelation unveils. Remember, the, the word revelation means unveiling. It unveils what will happen. Some of the stuff has already happened, as we can see in the Word of God, but there are things in this that have not happened. And why is that important? Because we cannot even understand our great hope if we think our great hope has already happened and we missed it. But when you understand that this has not happened yet, you've got something that's holding on to you, compelling you forward in your walk with God. If everything's already happened, if I don't have any choice, if I don't have any participation in what God's doing, then what is the flipping point at this point? But if I know that there is a hope beyond this veil of tears, then I'll live in it. If I understand that my God is not actually finished yet with everything that's happening, there is a hope that is pulling me forward. Paul said it like this, if I have hope in this world only, and I am among all men most miserable. That is a religious view. This is how it is. Nothing is going to change. This is the reality. So, when was the book written? Roughly 95 AD. And it's written about something that is going to happen. So, who was the immediate audience? Look at the end of verse 1, or the end of verse 30. It says, When you see, write, or what you see, John, I want you to write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to, to, per to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These are seven small congregational churches in the region of the world known as Asia Minor. Those of us that aren't real good with geography, that's roughly where the, the current nation of Turkey is. Not Thanksgiving Turkey. There's a country on the other side of the world called Turkey, and that's roughly where they were. These were small congregations, depending on which historian you, you follow here. These congregations are somewhere between 20 and maybe 50 people at this particular time. At different times, these congregations may have been much, much larger. One of the congregations that's mentioned here is the congregation of Ephesus. That was one of the largest churches in the first century. But at some point, something happened, and these seven congregations are going through intense pressure. And when they're going through intense pressure, things start happening. Pressure comes down, and people like start getting out. Like, ah, I can't handle that. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I do not like you no know, pressure. Like the doctor says, you're going to feel a little pressure. Then I'm going to feel my way to the door right now. I don't want to feel no pressure. 
This is how it happens. And they're going through some intense pressure and intense struggle. It was written directly to these seven churches and subsequently to every believer who names the name of Christ. If you are a believer, you are the indirect audience of this book. Don't let anyone tell you you shouldn't read this. Let me tell you what religion did. Anyone ever heard of John Calvin? Anybody ever heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King. Wait, wait, a whole lot longer. Right around the same time period as John Calvin, we've heard about these are religious fathers. These are fathers of the faith. These are founders of the whole religious movement. Both of these men did not believe that someone naming the name of Christ should even read this book. Martin Luther said that there was nothing in this book that tied back to Jesus, so therefore why, why read it? Which is interesting. The very first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I like Martin. He wrote 96 Theses, nailed them on the wall. Homeboy oh had some issues. John Calvin said there was no redeemable reason that a Christian should ever read the book of Revelation because it had nothing to do with church growth. Yet the letter was written directly to seven churches. Then why even bring that up? Because I want you to hear this. Religious fathers don't always get it right. Theologians almost never get it right because theology is an opinion about God trying to get to God. All you have to do is read the book and say, Spirit of God, draw me in and he will give you divine understanding. When you read this, you are receiving the spirit of prophecy. So if you don't read this believer, if you don't read this lazy Christian, if you don't read this scared to death individual because you don't understand it, you're not going to get the spirit of prophecy. And without the spirit of prophecy, you're not going to know which way to go in life, which is you're just going to keep following your own opinions. That's why reading this is okay. This good? Okay. We're out of the foundation. Let's get into the meat of the sermon. Here we go. I want to look at three very important things in here. I, I told you this series is about God's identity, John's vision, and our hope. I'm going to unpack these three things to give you some understanding of this today so we can have a better view as we dive into this book. Revelation, the beginning of verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. It's not about the wars. It's not about the Antichrist. This book is about Jesus Christ. And the word that is used here, apocalypsis, is the Greek word that we see for revelation. It sounds a lot like apocalypse. Anyone ever heard the word apocalypse? Now here's the deal. The moment I said apocalypse, you started thinking of wars and devastation and apocalypse now for some of you older folks. Let us spell it upon in the morning. We think of something bad, but the word apocalypse doesn't mean something bad. It means unveiling. Look at how society and the enemy has taken a beautiful thing and made it scary. Because the enemy of your soul does not want you to see Jesus Christ revealed in your life. So he makes that word something scary. So you go, oh, I don't want to have no apocalypse in you. When we should be praying for apocalypse on the daily in our life. So we can see Jesus Christ unveiled in our life. It means an unveiling, a manifestation, a disclosure, or a display. This book is literally the unveiling of Jesus to everyone, the ancient, the present, and the future. And the word, if we continue to read down here, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. And, and notice that him has, has got a capital letters, but we're speaking directly to Jesus. But 
this is a wording that can get confusing because it, it looks like on the surface, if you read it, that the Almighty God kind of wrapped this stuff up and handed it to someone else with a capital H. That's not what this means because the, the original word here is the word didomi, and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking down words in other sentences, but I want you to see this because it's very important to have the understanding. The Greek word here is the word didomi, which means to show, to present, or to physically display. So the source, God, right? Remember, we spent a lot of time talking about God is not our natural father. He is the father of life. He is the source of everything. The source of everything displays this message through his image. Who is the image of God? Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, you see the totality. It pleased God that the fullness of divinity would dwell in Jesus in bodily form. Now, y'all with me on the scripture? Am I in the right church? Y'all going to preach with me? Anybody confused yet? Okay, hang on, we'll get there. God is the one presenting this through the image of Jesus. In other words, the source is presenting his identity. He is unveiling. He's pulling back a cloud. He's pulling back a veil of confusion. That, that ignorance and religion and just bad teaching has just put in place. And he's pulling back. I want you to see who I am. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which I gave him to show his servants. Everybody say servants. Things which shortly may, must take place. The word here for servant is often translated, depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading, might be the word slave. We immediately pull back from that because we don't like that word. Because we think of the stain of early America, that's not what this is talking about. This is the word doulos, which means devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interests. A servant of Jesus Christ is someone who is living devotion to the disregard of their own interests. That does not sound like Christianity to me. Christianity says, I don't like this anymore. The Lord is pulling me here. I feel this. Right? Sound familiar? I've said it, you've said it, all God's children said it. We need to stop saying it. Because a bond servant, a doulos, is someone who makes a devotion to God regardless, actually to the disregard of our own interests. How much different would our life be if we stopped caring so much about our life and cared so much about getting close to Jesus? But I'm going through this. The closer you get to Jesus, the less effect that has on you. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more that you begin to understand he already knew what you needed before you ever got into the situation. That's why if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be happening. So not only does the book of Revelation reveal the identity of God, the book of Revelation also identifies our identity. God is warning every one of us, every one of us that are watching on the video, every one of the people listening on podcasts. He wants you to be a servant, a bond servant, who disregards your own interests for your devotion to him. This is God's identity. Let's, let's look, I'm going to kind of get out of order here and look at our hope. Everybody say, I hope. Because if you lose Jesus in this reading, you're going to lose your hope in this reading. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. 
I want to look at that phrase, things which shortly must shortly take place. This is the verse of Scripture. Remember, I told you all a couple of minutes ago in the boring part of the sermon about the preterist, the thing that's already happened. This is the verse that makes them think that it's already happened. Because the word takas, first time I saw this word when I was going to seminary, I thought they were saying tacos. I was like, sign me up. That's not what it meant. I found that out later and I was very, very sorely disappointed. In fact, I could use a taco right now. That would be glorious. But anyway, let's, let's move on from that. That, that word takas doesn't mean happening in the next little period of time. Like there's different ways to understand the word quickly, that which must shortly take place. The word takas means shortly, quickly, speedily. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to take place in the immediate future, which is what the preterists believe. There's another way to understand something happening in a short period of time. What it's saying is that when this happens, it's going to happen suddenly. It's kind of like when, where's Jose? Jose, it's kind of like that leak that happened in your shower a couple weeks back. It may have been happening gradually, but when the dam broke, right? Somebody know what I'm talking about. Like things are, things are progressing. All of a sudden it gets really, really bad, really, really quick. That's what this is talking about. It's like instantaneously you see a difference in what's happening. This is not talking about it's going to happen right now. The predators believe it's happening right now. In fact, it's already happening. We're living in the aftermath of all this. The futures believe, though, it's going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to happen very, 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 very quickly. Here's something I want to go ahead and just pull out here so you can understand. Everything that you see in the book of Revelation and everything that you see in the book of Daniel and everything that you see in the book of Zechariah, which are the three primary books of the Bible that talk about the end of days, there's only a few things left in that list of things that must happen that still need to happen. And every day that you get up and you read the news and you watch TV and you go through life and you see the degradation of humanity continue to advance, you need to understand we are running out of time in this age. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of time that's left. We're going to think, well, I've got the rest of my life. I'm, I'm over, I don't know if y'all picked up, I'm, I'm over 50. I, I've been hearing people preach out of the book of Revelation my entire life. Fifth generation of Pentecost on both sides of my family. Doesn't mean you have to be. That's just what I was. I've heard people preach the book of Revelation over and over. I remember falling asleep under the pews here in Revelation being preached, getting the mess scared out of me. Like, and then stop lying. You know, <laughs> clean your room, shut up all that line, and you won't go to heaven. I've heard this. And the way they presented it when I was a kid is like, it could happen any day because it can't happen any day. We don't know when it's happening. The Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour. Don't let anybody tell you. I heard this on the news the other day. Somebody called me and like, here's my timeline, and this is when the second coming of Jesus is going to happen. Click. <laughs> Don't be curious about this. All it's going to do is take away your hope. But when you understand it, when it happens, it's going to happen suddenly. Y'all, you got to understand this. Our hope is not in this world. Yeah, there's some really good things happening in this world, but there's a lot of things that are not good and not sustainable happening in this world. This world is not our home. The old song says, we're just passing through. You need to have hope that's not in this world. Where should our hope be? Our hope is in the unveiling. 
that we read in this book. Amen. So at the end of verse 1 and going to verse 2, revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must surely take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel. Everybody say, his angel. His angel. Not somebody else's angel. His angel. Ownership has privileges. And he signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Servant is the same word that we see earlier, doulos, which means John was so devoted to Jesus that he disregarded his own interests. And so God used his angel. What is this? If you, if you look at the original, it's, it's the word altos angelos. Altos angelos is not just a heavenly messenger. If, you, if you've read, anybody read the Old Testament? Okay, more of y'all need to read the Old Testament. It does have application in your life, I promise you. Well, then nobody tell you you only need the New Testament. You need the whole thing. New doesn't make sense without the Old. But if you're reading in the Old Testament, especially one of the more formal translations, you see a phrase all the time, angel of the Lord. Somebody know what I'm talking about? Angel of the Lord is not just some dude with wings that works for the Lord. Angel of the Lord is a physical manifestation of the invisible source. So when you see the phrase angel of the Lord, what you're seeing is God manifesting. This is why it's not one person talking to another in heaven. This is God saying, let me reveal myself and I'm going to reveal this to you in my form that I have already manifested myself. This is the image of the almighty God who is talking to John. <clears throat> why is that important, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked that question. If it's just a heavenly messenger, it's easy to overlook it. Later in the book, pastors of these seven churches are referred to as angels because anointed can, angelos can also apply to someone who's anointed. John the Baptist was called an angelos, an angel. And people ignore him. But if it is the express image of God himself, how do you ignore this express image of God himself? The source matters. Like somebody comes and tells me, like, hey, all you got to do is send this email to like 10 people, and you're going to get a check in the mail. Dude, that's pretty cool. Who told you? There's this prince from Nigeria. Okay, immediately, I'm not listening to you anymore. Pastor, I was reading and I was studying, and, and this is what I saw. Well, where'd you read that? Wikipedia? Okay, we're done. <laughs> the source matters, right? So in this, you've got to understand, John is not just like tripping, which by the way, there are people who believe that. He was out on, he was out on Patmos by himself, like doing what people do. You know, he's either hammered or he's stoned or a little bit of both or a little bit out of his mind. Bro. This is the revelation of Jesus. Now, that's not what's happening here. Okay? That's, that's not what's going on. God himself expresses himself in a physicality, which, by the way, after Jesus ascended into the heavens, this is how we see God. Jesus, the one who had walked and talked with John for three and a half years, shows 
comes up in the middle of his isolation, in the middle of his punishment, in the middle of his trial. Oh, somebody hear me. He shows up in the middle and says, let me give you some vision that's going to give you some hope. It's not in this world. John is seeing this vision. It's a vision from the Almighty, from the unveiling of the Almighty. And it's God himself. Therefore, when we read this, it's coming from God. Don't discount it. Don't push it aside out of fear or misunderstanding. Lean in and let the word of God come alive in your heart. This good this morning? Yeah. And let's continue on in verse 2. Who John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus and to all things that he saw. Speaking of John here. The source matters, but also the one delivering the information matters. If God is the source, who is John? In roughly 95 AD, John is the last living eyewitness of Jesus. John may have been on the island of Patmos by himself in isolation, but he knew who showed up. As you read this, you can see he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In the day that I have set aside, whoo, somebody that's coming to the Wednesday night tabernacle said he knows what I'm talking about. Those of you that are not coming, y'all, y'all probably should come and learn a whole lot about what we're doing right now. Why they change their theory? You should come on Wednesday night. Just say But this place that we've set aside, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In the place that I designated as a place of sanctuary in the presence of the Almighty. I was there and God showed up and began to speak vision to me. I wish God would talk to me. How often do you set aside time for him to talk? How often do you do this? Let me just tell you my name sin calls Jesus. Counselor Jesus. Life coach Jesus. Doctor Jesus. Awkward friend Jesus. Religious distant Jesus that I will never be able to get close to. Let me just say something. How do you see the vision? How do you see vision? Is vision something that we should be walking into? Last Sunday, I shared the vision where God's taking us over the next 12 months. How, how do we achieve that? How do we achieve that? You have to start pushing aside everything and create a space for God to work. You've got to create space for God to meet you. And when you do this, he says, I will be there where two or three are gathered. I will be there in the midst of them. But let me just say, you don't have to be with other believers. You can be isolated on the backside of a janky rock that everybody forgot. Going through absolute hell. Having just come out of the building. Oh, somebody know what I'm talking about. Life has been tearing you down. And the God of all gods will meet you when you create space in your drama. John recognized who was talking to him because he had walked for three and a half years with this individual. 
But as we'll see in chapter 4, he had never seen his best friend like this. You see, at this point, John perhaps had seen Jesus as a WWJ bracelet. Or a religious tattoo or a stare. Or a scripture post on social media. Or a cultural Christian worship song that kind of fits all the pop charts. He had seen a God of his own understanding. But when he gets into the apocalypsis, when the unveiling happens, he no longer sees a religious figure. He no longer even sees someone from the ancient past. He starts seeing the one who said, let there be. Not gender specific. 
so nobody get offended and cancel the Bible. Blessed is the individual who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Blessed means God approved. It doesn't mean you're going to get stuff. Doesn't mean you're going to have forty million dollars in your bank account tomorrow. Does not mean that you're going to be the recipient of that one point one billion dollar lottery that some of you are planning and you're never going to get. We don't have to time. Blessed is the individual who reads and those who hear. Notice that. Blessed, God approved, is the person who reads. This is not ministry to the soul. I think I need to go to a paraphrase. What does the DPT say about this? Why don't you get out of the paraphrases and get into the text? Paraphrases are good tools, but they are not the Word of God. They're someone's opinion about the Word of God. Well, not, not the DPT. Yeah, the dude that paraphrased the, the passage translation said that an angel from God should put the tool with the right name. That sounds like the Book of Mormon. Stop reading that news. Just read it. I don't understand. Welcome to my life. You're not supposed to understand. You're supposed to read. Because when you read, and you're intentional about reading the spirit of Almighty God, it's going to go, and you're going to go, whoa, what was that? Read, but don't just read. Don't ask for my, for my notes so you can disconnect from the sun. Don't, don't, don't just read on your own, oh, I got everything I need to know. No, you need to hear the word of God preached because it's by the foolishness of preaching that God chooses to save them who believe. You need the preached word of God in your life. That's why we're going to read this. That's why I'm going to preach it and I'm not going to back off of it because the person who hears it, the person who reads it is blessed by God. And I'm going to go to finish just with reading and listening. He says, and and those individuals who keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Good non-denominational sermon here. There to be three things that you need to do. Here you go. I don't have to be on the screen. Thing number one, read the book. Everybody say, read the book. What does that mean? Be intentional in studying the unveiling of Jesus. I want to challenge you. Join me. I'm in an in-depth study of the book of Revelation until God moves us on. Join me. Write down your questions. Bring them to me and I'll email you back. Would you shoot me an email? I'll answer any question you've got. Come on Wednesday night to Tabernacle and I promise you a lot of this is going to make a lot of sense. Be intentional in studying the unveiling of Jesus. Then number two. Everybody say number two. Hear the book. you got to hear it. Be intentional in listening to the preached unveiling of Jesus. Number three, everybody say, keep the book. Being, no, only like four of you on the front row say keep the book. Because y'all want to keep the book. And I don't want to, I listen and you can yell at me and I'll read maybe. But I don't want to keep it. Come on, somebody say, keep the book. Keep the book. Why? You've got to be intentional in living the unveiling of Jesus. Because when you know who he is, then you can understand who you are. And God uses the foolishness of preaching to save believers. And when we devote our lives to Jesus and not our own interests, he begins to meet us in the middle of our problem. I feel a little bit this morning like Moses did in Exodus 33. I feel a little bit 
Disregarding my opinions. Yes. 